Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. And welcome to the Flatline, the show with no hidden agendas. That's right. Just 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, nothing else. Not trying to sell you anything, not trying to hustle you. Not going to ask you to join up, fess up, give up. We just want to give you something, and that's accurate information. Information that is my prayer will help you verify as well as identify the plan of God for your life, and in doing so, maybe, maybe you would orient and adjust to the plan yourself. I learned a long time ago you can never change anybody but yourself, but if you have your options, if you know what your choices are, then you are a product of your decisions. And the one thing that you will do on this show is you will hear accurate information that will let you know what your choices are. And then it's up to you. It's between God and you. It's your life. You live it the way you want to live it. He gave you volition. You have the ability to choose. It starts off with the ability to choose Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then it goes to the ability to choose God's plan or your plan. And that is deciding how you're going to live the rest of your life once you accept Christ as your Savior. It all starts with the most fantastic decision anyone can make. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the words of God in the Bible. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and he paid the penalty for our sin. It's clear in the Bible where the Bible says he who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. He paid for our sin. He paid our penalty. The one that knew no sin was made sin. The only way we could ever come to God or ever have an eternal relationship with God was if someone else paid the penalty for us because there's nothing in us that God could accept. The Bible says there are none that are righteous, no, not even one. All of our good works are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. So what would we have that would ultimately cause God to forego judgment on us? And the answer is nothing. But ultimately, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the anointed Son of God, paid for our sin. And we, thus, by receiving him as our Savior through faith alone, have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with God by becoming members of the royal family. And as members of the royal family of God, we have a life set out in front of us. We have options and agendas and choices and privileges. All of this God gives to his children, and all of it he gives to you. Last week, we started a study concerning these choices and these decisions, and this study was based out of the book of Corinthians. Here, Paul ran into a group of Christians in the city of Corinth who had trouble sticking with the plan. They were distracted in many different ways. And once he left Corinth, after 18 months of ministering there, he wrote some letters back trying to get them to be squared away in their approach to life. He was using an athletic metaphor, trying to tell them that they had to press on and not be distracted. Here's what it said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know 
that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, least after I had preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. This doesn't mean that Paul is expecting he might not go to heaven if he did something bad. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that God had a plan for his life, and if he didn't fulfill the plan, then God would set him aside and find someone who would do it. And this is the same It's true of us, you and I today. God has called us to do something. That's why he left us here. Once you accepted Christ as your Savior, he could have taken you straight to heaven, but he didn't. He left you. He has a plan for your life. And the objective of the plan is to fulfill it, to learn it, understand it, and fulfill it. And so he starts off by saying to these people in Corinth, don't you know? This is a very, very strong Greek negative. The word is pronounced ook, O-U-K, almost like oink, like a pig, but ook. Don't you know? Do you not understand this? I mean, they should have already known this since they observed these Ithmian games constantly. Remember, Paul was there in Corinth making tents. He was selling tents, maybe renting tents. I don't know. But he had been joined by Priscilla and Aquila, and they were working the Olympic games or the Ithmian games in order to make money to survive. And then he would go into the synagogue and teach on Sundays, or the Sabbath, excuse me. Eventually, he was able to get enough finances from a gift to the church at Philippi to do this on a daily basis. And that eventually got him run out to where he moved into a private home and began to teach. And even the president of the synagogue and his entire family believed in Jesus Christ. This brought him before Gallio, and to try him, the Jews tried to try him as a cult and have him prosecuted, but Gallio was too smart, threw it out, and Paul continued to minister. So he's left Corinth. He's over in Ephesus. He's writing this letter back. He's indicating that he wants a response from them. They've seen those games. They know about the athletic competition, and he's using this to make a point, and you know it too. You've watched these things on television. You've seen the Olympic races. You've seen track and field meets. He says the one in a stadium running. Running in a race is the metaphor for hard exertion in the Christian life. Running in a race, the stadium, he uses the word stadium. It's a race course. It's usually measured in their times by 185 meters. Basically, what God is saying here is our life is a prescribed distance. The prescribed distance. In other words, God has set up for us a time and a place and a manner of our departure. We don't really know it, but we know we have been told in Colossians 4, 5 to walk in wisdom towards the ones that are outside, and we are to redeem our time. We have been told in Ephesians 5, 15 to walk carefully, circumspectly, not as a fool, 
but is wise. And then in Ephesians 5.16, we have been told to redeem our time because the days are evil. Listen, each one of us, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have equal privilege and equal opportunity to win that crown, to run the race and win the race. But so few believers actually do it. You see, it requires self-discipline. And this means that we have to be responsible before the Lord for every decision that we make. God created us equally. He gave us spiritual freedom. And there's no excuse for any of us not being winners at the judgment seat of Christ. There's no excuse for none of us not to hear these words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. But there are some things necessary, if you're going to hear that, in your life, in regards to spiritual advancement, there, take, there, there must be self-control. This means that you must use your very own volition to keep your sin nature in check. Remember, all of us have an old sin nature. The old man within us is against God's word, never has obeyed God, never will, the Bible says. We have a sin nature. We got it from Adam. It's called Adam's original sin where the Bible says, For by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and now death has passed on all. For all have sinned. Yes, we are born spiritually dead, infected with Adam's original sin. So we must use our volition to keep our old sin nature in check. All of us do not have the same lust patterns. All of us do not have the same desires. What may cause one Christian to fail and fall out of fellowship with God might not cause another Christian. For example, some people may be tempted by sex. Others may be tempted by money. Others may be tempted by power. Others may be tempted by approbation. It's different temptations. In Judges chapter 16, verse 1, we have the illustration of Samson. Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot, and he went in unto her. Now, how would you like for the world to know about all your infidelity? I don't think you would. But he did not use self-control, and he allowed himself to go where he should not have gone. And we have a testimony of it in the Bible. He had a weakness, and that weakness was for loose girls. And then self-control requires self-discipline. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Thus, do not get entangled up with the affairs of this life. It requires a believer to have self-discipline to study God's Word daily. The inculcation and the application of the Word of God in your life must be more than Sunday morning and Wednesday night. It must be on a daily basis or you will never get out of the first grade. Listen, if you send a child to the first grade for three hours a week, they'd never get out of the first grade. And yet if you go to church and you hear a 30-minute sermon on Sunday morning, 30-minute sermon on Sunday night, 30-minute sermon on Wednesday night, that's about an hour and a half a week. You're never going to get out of the first grade. It is critical that you sit under a well-qualified pastor who will teach you the Bible daily, daily, 
This is one of the things that I do in my life every day. I sit down with my notebook and my Bible, and I listen to God's Word taught to me by my pastor, who has thousands of hours of Bible study available on tape, on video, and they're all free. How about that? No charge ever. Self-discipline in inculcation, and then self-discipline in the application. So if we're going to be the winner believer, if we're going to get that winner's crown, we must use self-control, self-discipline, and self-restraint. And self-restraint means we avoid the non-essential things in our life, that we're not impulsive. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.15, walk circumspectly, not as a fool, but wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So self-control, self-discipline, self-restraint, and then poise. And poise means we have to be able to think under pressure. We have to be able to concentrate under pressure. It's critical that we be able to do that. And then we go to, we have a strong Greek conjunction here. We go to what the Bible says, but, but strong conjunction here. Only one will receive that prize. Receive the prize. Lay hold of the prize. And the prize is the award. That's why he said in Philippians 3.14, I keep pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The fact is that you were provided the assets in eternity past to ensure that you won the race. So he presses towards the mark, the skopos. That's the aim or the objective in the Greek New Testament, the skopos. And the mark is the finish line. We press towards the finish line. And the finish line is the end of the race. That's when we transfer to heaven. That's when we are there. We press towards the mark of the prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing forward is a present active indicative, and it's the word D-I-O-K-O, dioko, and this is where it occurs in actual time. We have a calling. We have an invitation. It's been issued to us. He issued us an invitation to believe in him, and he issued us an invitation in 2 Thessalonians 1.11 to be worthy of the calling. Why? In 2 Thessalonians 1.12, so that Christ would be glorified in you, in us. This requires something on our part. This requires the doctrine of self-control. We must have self-control. We must have the ability to manage our actions, our feelings, and our emotions. If we can't do that, then we will never have any self-control in our life. And without self-control, no believer will ever grow to be a spiritually mature believer. He must learn to control his sin nature rather than letting the sin nature control him. Actually, there's three things you have to control. Yes, you have to control the flesh or the sin nature. And then you have to control the world, and you can't stop the world from tempting you, but you can stop your sin nature from responding to the temptation. And then you have to be able to overcome the strategy of the devil, and that strategy is to deceive you. It's a deceptive strategy to lure you away from truth 
and into something that's false. False, like salvation by works, spirituality by works. In other words, you're going to go to heaven because you're a good person. No, that's not true. We go to heaven because we have faith alone in Christ alone. Or we're going to gain God's favor in time because we observe certain taboos. That's not true. God's not going to like you any better because you don't wear makeup. God's not going to like you any better because you don't chew chewing gum or you don't drink some kind of soda. That doesn't make God like you better. That's Are you trying to give God some kind of emotion that he will respond to something that you're doing? Listen, God's laid the plan out. The plan requires self-control. Where do you get self-control? This is something I've had trouble with all my life, and I'm sure you probably have too. Where do we get self-control from? And the answer is in Galatians 5.23. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Once we're filled with the Holy Spirit by the use of rebound, we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is indeed self-control. Self-control is an amazing thing. It means we have strength, and we have the strength to overcome those things that tempt us, those things that lure us aside. And then in 2 Peter 1.6, the Bible says, in your knowledge, add self-control. So even though self-control becomes from the fruit of the Spirit, it's a learned asset. You have to learn self-control. This starts off as a child when parents teach their children self-control, not to do certain things. That requires discipline and learning and respect for authority. And then 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 7, describes the core attitude of an arrogant person. And here it says they are lovers of self without self-control. Self-control must be learned. Self-control is the fruit of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And let me give you some principles on it. It means, number one, you taking responsibility. Number two, divine authority demands self-control. This is God's word in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. You can read it for yourself. Stop slandering each other. Stop fighting with each other. Be kind to each other. Be forgiving of each other. This demands self-control. You cannot let your temper go off on someone that you don't like. Whether it's a member of your family or a member of your church or a person in the business world, you are not allowed in the word of God to slander, malign, criticize, backbite, judge, pronounce sentence on anybody. God will handle that, and that requires self-control. You know, you get set up a lot of times. People will ask you, what do you think about so-and-so? Don't answer that question. Don't give an opinion unless you can say, I think they're wonderful people. What do you think? And then you may find out what those people really think. So three, lack of divine viewpoint. That's the Word of God. Having the Word of God in your soul, having a completely renovated thought process, Lack of that results in self-absorption, being totally preoccupied with your own self. If you don't understand the plan of God, you're always going to be preoccupied with your own self. 
You're always going to have your little self-pity parties. You're always going to think everyone's out to get you. And you must avoid that. Four, the Word of God in your memory center gives you the options to choose. So if you have a brain, and you do, and you have a stream of consciousness, and you do, inside that stream of consciousness is a memory center. And when you come up to a situation in life like a fork in the road, then if the Word of God is in your memory center, it'll tell you which fork to take. Yogi Berra once was asked this question about when you come to the fork in the road, which fork do you take? And Yogi had an amazing answer about that. He didn't even know there was a fork in the road. Someone asked him one time, don't you know anything? He said, not only do I not know anything, I don't even suspect anything. So he said, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. There are forks in the road. Those forks in the road can be related to people. It can be related to business. It can be related to church membership or where you go. There are choices you must make, decisions you have to make. And without the Word of God in your memory center, you will not have any options for self-control because it is the Word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to remind you of your bad decisions, and then you must decide, will I do this bad decision or will I not do this? Don't blame it on someone else. Don't pass it off on your parents. Don't pass it off on your environment. Pass it off on yourself. You made the decision. You chose. You did it. You just knew your options, and you chose the wrong option. Point six or five. Without self-control, you will live only to be stimulated with your desires. Without self-control, you will live only for stimulation. You will live to be stimulated. You will live to find happiness in people or circumstances or something, but it won't be to follow God's plan because you have no self-control. Six, once you as a Christian begin to revolt against God, your emotions will block out any reason and any ability to face reality. You won't even be able to tell what reality is because you have no self-control. You will deceive yourself and eventually destroy yourself. So point seven, lack of self-control leads to self-destruction. Lack of self-control leads to self-destruction. Some of you listening to me may have already destroyed yourself. You may already be able to see the end and you know you're done, you're toast. Maybe you're incarcerated for a bad decision you made and you've lost your freedom. Maybe you've made a bad decision in marriage and you've stuck in it and you wonder, what in the world have I done? Because you did not exercise self-control to begin with. How many times has this happened in the lives of young people who don't exercise self-control and wind up with responsibilities that they are not capable of handling? And so they have to call in grandma and grandpa to handle it, don't they? And you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. Under self-deception, this is a good point to remember, a believer who's out of fellowship with sin in his life, he will assume that he's okay because he observes certain taboos. 
he performs certain rituals. They go to church, they uh, take communion, they sing in the choir, and they think I'm okay because I'm going through these rituals. But if he doesn't know God's Word and how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's just deceiving himself and accumulating wood, hay, and stubble. All those right things done in the wrong way. And they'll never even realize it until they get to the judgment seat of Christ. And then they will not hear, well done. They will watch all of their good deeds burned up as wood, hay, and stubble because they were all produced from the energy of the flesh. See, you can produce good works from the energy of the flesh, or you can produce good works from the filling of the Holy Spirit. Only the good works produced under the filling of the Holy Spirit will be rewardable. That's the prize. Anything else, you're running out of bounds. You've stepped off the race course, and you'll be disqualified. You will not receive a crown. You will lose your escrow blessings in the future without self-control. You know, what's sad is many Christians are so distracted by their own self-importance that they wind up disqualifying themselves from ever getting the winner's prize. They do because they are distracted by who they are, what they want, what they think. Self-motivation must come from self-evaluation. So here's what I'm saying. If you don't know yourself, then you don't know what you need. If you don't know yourself, you don't know what you need. And the only way to know yourself is to look into the mirror of the Word of God and see yourself as you really are. Without that, you'll have an arrogant, unrealistic self-image. But when you look into the mirror of God's Word, You see yourself. You see your flaws. You identify that, and you know your needs. And you cannot look into the mirror of God's Word if you don't know it and learn it. How can you know it and learn it if you don't listen and understand? You want to know yourself? You're not going to know yourself in an hour and a half a week. It's going to take you sitting under that pastor that will teach it, teach you God's Word, and then slowly and surely You began to conform to the image of Christ, and not in a legalistic, ritualistic way, but in a way that is so real and so appealing and so magnificent and so phenomenal that even your friends will want to know what's the difference. How can you live like that? How can you do these things? How do you not get mad? How do you not worry? How do you not get jealous? How do you do those things? And that's just simply the Christian life. That's the way you're supposed to live. So, it's only through the filling of the Holy Spirit that you will ever have any self-control. So the question I will wind up with today is, will you allow the Holy Spirit to take control of your life? I hope so. Because the self-control I'm speaking of is not just physical. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 8, bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Godliness is the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual maturity. That's the self-control I'm talking about. That's what glorifies God, and that's what will represent Jesus Christ in your life to your friends. Think about it. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flotline. 
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.